I wonder, I wonder if you've ever had that moment where somebody says to you, maybe somebody who you haven't seen for a little while, uh, they, they say to you, oh, um, oh it's, great, it's great seeing you again. What's been going on in your life? Now, I always, I always feel slightly awkward when they ask me that question because it's like, how do you answer it? Like, I find myself, like, I, I might not have seen them for years and suddenly I can't think of anything that has happened in my life that is worthy of note because the problem with the question is that there's lots of things that happen in my life, but none of them, like, if I start telling them about, like, the interesting meals that I've started cooking over the next few years, it feels a little mundane, but... I haven't had anything more exciting than that happen in my life. So it's either I either go into like all kinds of detail, in which case spend the next 10 hours telling them about everything that I've been doing. Or if I'm looking for highlights, I don't really have any. It's just like, I don't know, like I've just been kind of carrying on just like life, life is normal. I had, a, I had a moment like that with my friend Rachel, who was up this weekend, where she asked me at one point, she's like, oh, what are you enjoying doing at the moment, Ben? And I was like, nothing. Um, and then I was like, that can't be right. There must be things I'm enjoying doing. But I was slightly caught off guard by it. And, and if I start saying, well, I'm really enjoying eating sausage pasta on a Monday night, I kind of feel like that probably wasn't what she was looking for uh, in the question. You see, you get, you get stuck in this place where nothing significant enough is there to say. And... Uh, but the mundane doesn't feel worth saying. I had a, had a similar moment um, a couple of weeks ago because I was on a call with a church leader from down in Cambridge. Um, and he, I hadn't spoken to him for, for quite a few years since before COVID. Um, and I was chatting to him and he, he said to me, he said, oh, so tell me a bit about what's going on at Grace Church, what's been going on at Grace Church. And again, I was like, how do I tell the story of what's been going on at Grace Church over the last four or five years? Like, what do I tell him? Like, like how do I go about answering that question? And it strikes me there's a number of ways you could do it. So there's a number of ways I could tell the story of Grace Church. I could tell it in terms of like numbers. So I could tell it in terms of, you know, the, the dozen of us who launched Grace Church and how over those early years, God brought in some different people, different ages, different backgrounds, even different nationalities. And we started to see both the number of people in Grace Church grow and also the diversity of people within Grace Church. I, I could tell that story. That's one way I could answer that question. But I could also answer that question in terms of what has been happening in the lives of individuals. Like, like I could tell the story of how during the life of Grace Church, God has grown in me and increased dependence on him. I could say, oh, actually, what's been going on in Grace Church is, is that God's been teaching me that I can't, all the things I can't do by myself and all the things I need to depend on him for. Or I could tell it through the story of lives of other individuals. I could tell the story of how people have grown in their joy in the gospel over the past four years. I could tell the story of new friendships that have been created. I could tell the story of marriages that have happened within Grace Church. I could tell the story of individuals and what's been going on in the lives of individuals. I could also answer that question of what's been going on in Grace Church through activities. I could say, well, when we started, we had one life group and a Sunday gathering a bit like this. Uh, and then over the years, we've kind of started doing a bit more. So now we have a Christian Against Poverty Debt Centre that we run out of the church. We have, um, uh, we've started doing a lunch on a Tuesday. We've started doing discussion groups. We've started doing kids' Bible studies. We've started doing marriage course. I could tell the story in terms of how God's led us to do different things as a church. They would all be like legitimate ways I could answer that question, what's been going on at Grace Church? I, I don't know how you'd answer that question if you've been around Grace Church for a while. I wonder what you would say if you, you know, what's been happening in Grace Church over the past few years. But 
what I want to do today is I want to tell you not only the story of Grace Church Hartlepool past, I also want to tell you the story of Grace Church Hartlepool future. For as long as Grace Church Hartlepool exists as a Bible-believing church committed to sharing the good news of Jesus in Hartlepool, I, I want to tell you what has happened for as long as we've been that, and what is going to carry on happening for as long as we are that. And I'm going to tell it using this famous story that Jesus told that we had read for us earlier. Now, in this story, we have this sower. And this sower goes out and he plants seeds. I guess that's kind of what, what sowers do. They, they, they sow this seed. He scatters it, we're told. And because he scatters it, the seed lands on different Places. It lands in different places, different kinds of surfaces. So, so some of the seed lands on paths. And of course, the seed's not going to do anything useful on a path. Okay? It's not going to grow, it's not going to take root, it's not going to do anything. So all that happens there is it lands on the path, the birds swoop down, they take the seed and, and they fly away with it, nothing happens. So some of the seed falls on that. Some of it, we're told, falls on this rocky ground. Now, now the problem with rocky ground is, got, is it can... The, the, the seed can take root initially, and it can grow up quickly, but it's not going to put down any deep roots because it's going to hit rocks. And when it does, it can, it can stop being able to get enough nutrients, enough of everything to be able to go, so it just withers and dies. So it shoots up quickly, but it can't survive. Not enough water, not enough nutrients for it, so it's just going to die as it grows. So some of it lands on there. Some of it lands on, on soil, and it looks good. It grows up nicely, but the problem is that amongst it, all these thorns and weeds grow up as well. And they're all competing for the same water, for the same nutrients. And it turns out the weeds just choke it down. It can't get enough of the good stuff it needs to survive. So it, it dies. And then finally, you've got this soil, uh, this good soil, we're told, where the, the seed falls on it and, and it starts to grow. But it doesn't then stop growing. It keeps growing because it can put down roots. It can get everything that it needs to grow. And so it grows until it finally produces a harvest. That's the story. Now, how does that story tell the story of Grace Church? Well, it tells the story of Grace Church because we are told, Jesus tells us here in Mark, that this story is about how people respond to the word of God. He, he explicitly says that the seed is the word of God. And so this story is actually about how do people respond when they hear God's words. Now, now, the word of God is central to what we're about as a church. If you've not been around here very long, if you're new to uh, Grace Church, I just want to make that clear. The Bible is described as God's word breathed out by him for our good. And so one of the ways that we scatter God's word, that we expose ourselves and other people to God's word, is by opening up his written word and hearing him speak through it. That's why every week, if you come here on a Sunday, if you go to a life group, you're going to see us open the Bible and talk about it. Because that's how God's word, that seed, is scattered. Uh, we're told um, in the Bible that God's ultimate word is the person of Jesus. That's the ultimate way that God speaks. It says we encounter Jesus, we read about him in these accounts of his life, like Mark that we're going through at the moment. As we see how not just Mark, but all the Bible speaks about him. As we experience his spirit revealing him to us, as we come into contact with God's words. It's as we do all those things that we hear God speak, that we come into contact with God's words. So when we sing songs as a church, we want to sing biblical truths about Jesus so that we're encountering God's words. When me or someone else in the church opens up the Bible on a Sunday, 
It's because we want to engage with God's word. When we meet as life groups to discuss the Bible, it's because we want to be exposed to God's word. Grace Church exists to continue the, his work of sowing, scattering God's word, just like we're, we have at the start of this parable. And what this parable does, it tells us the range of responses that we can expect to see to that. Like, how are different people going to respond to that? And so all I want to do uh, this afternoon is I just want, to, just want to talk through those four different responses that Jesus talks about here. As we as a church go about trying to scatter God's word, trying to expose ourselves and each other to God's word, what can we expect to see? What have we seen in the past? What will we see in the future? And firstly, we have these paths. Now, Jesus explains uh, who, what these paths represent. These are people who hear the word, so they hear God's word, they're exposed to it, they're in the same room, so talking about, they open it up, whatever, they hear God's word, but it never goes in. It's immediately snatched away. Now, that, that's the first reaction that is talked about here, the first response. And we have seen that numerous times in the life of Grace Church. And we will see it many, many times going forward. This is the kind of response where as soon as the Bible is opened, they zone out. As soon as, as, soon as someone starts talking about Jesus, they start thinking about something else. As soon as they come into contact with God's word, their defences are raised and nothing is getting through. I can think of numerous um, people in the life of Grace Church who've responded like that to God's words. They are hard-hearted against it. They're not interested in hearing it or being challenged by it or allowing it to transform them. They know what they think and they're not interested in anything else. That There may well be some of you right here, right now, who have this reaction to God's words. Hard-hearted, uninterested, maybe even a bit annoyed by it. And I guess the question is why? Why do people have this reaction? Why is it that, that some people, God's word is out there and they're exposed to it and they hear it, but just, it just doesn't go in at all? Why are they so closed off to God's word? You see, when we see people reacting like that to God's word, it's easy to think, well, the problem is that we need something else. We need a better band or we need more miraculous signs or we need more smoke machines or whatever it is. We need a different strategy or less Bible or a different focus. But Jesus actually tells us that this doesn't happen because of some deficiency in God's word. The problem isn't the seed. The seed's fine. The seed will produce growth. It will produce a harvest. It doesn't happen because there's something wrong with God's word. It happens because, Jesus tells us, Satan comes and snatches it away. You see, none of us are neutral when it comes to God's word. And God's great enemy, Satan, is constantly working to prevent us engaging with what God is saying. There is nothing that he likes more than for us to zone out or resist God's word. Now, now, you might not think that that's what's going on. You might think, I don't listen because I'm too clever. I'm too clever. I just already know all this. I don't need to engage with what God said. I, I've, got, I've got all those years of education and all the things I already know. I don't need to hear what God's saying through his word. You might think, I don't listen because I'm, I'm sorted out. I don't need what God's, words, what God's word's got to offer me. My life's fine. Why do I need to listen to that? That's for people who are all a mess, but I'm fine. I don't need it. You might think, oh, I don't listen because I'm too mature. I've been a Christian too long. I already know what I think. I've been taught so well. I don't need it anymore. I don't need to pay attention to it. 
You might think, I don't listen because it's just primitive, old-fashioned. But Jesus says, at its root, most basic level, that is not what's going on. What is going on is that God's enemy is trying to prevent you from even thinking about or engaging with it or wrestling with it. If there wasn't a spiritual element, you would imagine that at the very least you'd listen to it. At the very least, because why not? There's no downside to it. You'd pay attention, you'd weigh it. Not, maybe you wouldn't accept it straight away, but, but you would listen to it at least. You wouldn't just go, no, I don't want anything to do with it. But instead, what we do is we work as hard as we can to avoid ever thinking about it. And there's a danger as we read this, I know, that we can think, well, if this is what's going on, that's not really my fault, is it? The word gets snatched away. What am I supposed to do about that? But of course, that's not the way the Bible talks about Satan at all. Satan only has power because we listen to him. That's what happens right at the start in the garden. Satan only led Adam and Eve away from God because they listened to him. They only began ignoring God's word because they believed Satan's lies. And we're also told that if we resist the devil, then he will flee from us. So here's my challenge to each one of you, whether you believe in Satan or a devil or not. Here's, here's my challenge to you. Don't, don't be a path. Like that's basically Jesus' point, isn't it? If you're, even if you're not a Christian, even if you are resistant right now, you're resistant to this, you're hostile to it, you don't want it, it's not for you, then there's no advantage to being a path. There's no advantage to not even hearing it, to having it snatched away, to not considering it. You don't gain anything from that. There's no point in being like, well, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not, I'm not going to wrestle with it. I'm not going to learn from it. I'm not going to see if it's got anything to say to me. Jesus' point is there's plenty of people who'll just be like, no, not interested, not, not hearing it. But there's no, there's no growth going to come from that. There's no life going to come from that. So that's the first reaction. We've seen it in the life of Grace Church in the past. We will see it in the life of Grace Church in the present. We will see it in the life of Grace Church going forwards. Next, we have uh, rocky ground. That's the second kind of ground Jesus describes. These are people who they hear God's word and they get excited by it. They seem to get it. We're, we're told they receive it with joy. They're absolutely buzzing about it. But, but what happens is over time, that joy wanes. Their excitement diminishes and they, and they end up giving up. Again, we've seen plenty of this in the life of Grace Church, and we'll see plenty more of it in the future. People who come along seem really excited about it, seem to get it, seem, seem to grow. But then over time, it just ends up going nowhere. And what is it that causes this? Well, in the rocky ground, Jesus tells us, he tells us all this. You can see it in verses, at the end of this, verses 15 down to 20. He tells us what causes it. In the rocky ground, it's persecution. And we've just got to be honest. In the, for the early church, right, that was a genuine issue. There were times in the early church where you would be arrested for following Jesus. There were times in the early church where you would be killed for following Jesus. And even if that wasn't the case, even if you weren't in that situation, you would almost inevitably be ridiculed and excluded from society if you became a Christian. You know, persecution was a genuine issue for the early church. For us today, most of us don't have the imprisonment or the execution threats, but we might still face ridicule, we might still face social inclusion. 
It, it might be the exclusion of friends who just think we're crazy or judgmental or intolerant. It might be family members who we know are going to fall out with us over it. It might just be the kind of drip, drip, drip of like so much media, which tells us, oh, I can't believe that anyone in the right mind would still pay attention to the Bible or care about what God says about anything. Now, I think it's worth us thinking about what we do about that. Like, what do we do to avoid being those who hear God's word, get really excited about it, find the joy it offers, but then give up when the initial buzz wears off and when times get hard? And, and I think we're given a clue here, aren't we? Because we're told why it happens. We're told that it happens because they have no roots. If we want to keep going, we need to put down some roots. It's easy to have a faith that doesn't have particularly strong roots. To have a vague sense that God loves you, a general belief in forgiveness, a desire, sort of desire to live the kind of life Jesus calls you to. It's possible to have a faith like that. Most faith looks a bit like that at the start. And that, that kind of faith will cause significant growth initially. You'll grow a lot from just believing those truths initially. You'll see a huge change in your life if you start believing those things. But over time, if we are to survive, we need to go deeper than that. There's a number of different ways that the Bible calls us to put down roots. I'm going to tell you three of them now in Ephesians. We're told that it's through being part of a united church family that we will no longer be infants tossed around by every wind of teaching and the craftiness of people. So one of the ways we put down roots is by getting plugged in, getting involved in a united church family. That's one way you can put down roots. In Colossians, we're told that it's through teaching and thankfulness that we remain rooted in Jesus. So as we, as we ha- are taught more about him, as we pursue thankfulness, just like we were talking about earlier, then we remain rooted in Jesus. In Hebrews, we are told that if we, be, if we learn to discern between good and evil, that we will grow up and no longer be infants. There's a number of ways the Bible talks about what it looks like to put down roots. This is one of my uh, chief prayers for us as a church, that we would be those who put down roots. That we would not just hear God's word and initially be excited about it, but that following that excitement, we'd then give up. No, that's not what I want. What I want is that following that excitement, we put down roots. We establish Christian friendships. We become committed to the church family God's put us in. We develop strong convictions about those things God calls us to. We grow in our understanding of God's character and what he's done. That we would have a faith that doesn't just crumble in the face of the first bit of opposition that we face, the first person who tries to convince us that Christianity isn't true. Or someone calling us to believe a gospel which is more about prosperity in this world than it is about the promise of a future. God did not give us a summarized version of the Bible. God didn't give us four sentences that we need to know and believe in order to be a Christian. He gave us the whole Bible on which to base our faith. And we need to grow in our understanding of the whole story of the Bible, of everything included in it, if we're going to become established and able to withstand all the things that we'll face. See, that was the problem, wasn't it? They, they, they were with the rocky ground. They, they heard the word, they were excited. They found joy in it, but they, couldn't, they never put down roots. 
And so eventually they stop growing and they wither and they die. They end up nowhere. The third type of ground initially sounds quite similar. This is uh, the thorny ground. The seed is sown. And like the rocky ground, it doesn't last. However, this time, it's, it's just, there's a subtle difference. It's not, it doesn't last not because of persecutions, but rather because of distractions. So just to explain what this looks like, this is where we hear the word and we believe it. And we start off trying to live according to it, trying to know and follow Jesus. We get involved with the work he's doing. But over time, things come into our lives which crowd Jesus out. You see, it's not persecutions this time. It's not opposition. Rather, it's this kind of these temptations, these things that pull us away. No one is opposing us. We just have our heads turned by something else until we end up giving up. Again, we have seen plenty of this in Grace Church. People who grew so well at the start understood the gospel, loved Jesus, found joy and security in knowing him, but who over time had their heads turned by something else. They became distracted and lost their love of Jesus. They lost their joy in the gospel. And they have, to all intents and purposes, given up really pursuing Christ. What, what I love about Jesus' description of this thorny ground is that he, gives, he puts his finger on three things which can come in and crowd Jesus out. And I, I found these three things so helpful in my life, just in thinking about where I'm in danger of allowing other things to prevent me from hearing God speak to me and responding to that properly. The first thing he puts his finger on is the worries of this life. You can, you can see that in verse 19. Still others like seed sown among thorns, thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life. You see, the things which distract us are not just, well, they're not in this instant things which tempt us away. They're just worries and concerns. And there are so many things to worry about in this life. How our kids are getting on. Whether we've made the right decisions. Whether we said the right thing. Whether that person likes us or not. Our health, our finances, church relationships, the list goes on and on and on. And it is right for us to think about these things and it's right for us to be concerned about them. But the problem is that they can crowd around us like thorns and lead to us losing our joy in the gospel, losing our commitment to Jesus, failing to respond to Jesus' words. We stop hearing God's word because life is so full of worries that we never actually read it. We spend all our time worrying, no time actually reading the Bible, hearing God speak. Dealing with these worries takes up so much time that we start meeting with God's people less. And even when we do meet with them, we barely take anything in because our headspace is fully taken up by one worry or another. We stop doing what God says because we're too busy trying to deal with our own concerns. Jesus' call on us is to learn not to be worried. Now, that's what Jesus encourages us to do. Don't be worried, but instead learn to trust the God who made you, who loves you, and who died for you. And if you ignore that call, if you think that's just too hard, I could never do that, then you run the risk of becoming thorny ground, where worries, the worries of this life, come in and they crowd Jesus out. Jesus doesn't simply tell us not to worry because that'll be good for us. It will be good for us. But he tells us it because he knows that there's a risk that worries come and the worries of this life come in and they consume us. They take all of our headspace. They take all of our emotional capacity. And all of a sudden, we're not hearing God. We're not pursuing him. That's the first thing that he says can come in and choke God's word. The second 
just as the phrase straight after this, the deceitfulness of wealth. Again, I love this because it helpfully sums up one of the great distractions of my life, which is money. We get obsessed with looking at our bank balance and making plans, working out how much we need to survive, how much we need to be able to buy that thing or have that holiday, how much we need to be able to retire. We believe the lie that our life would be so much better if we just had that thing or could afford that lifestyle. That is, to take Jesus' phrase, the deceitfulness of wealth. And why is it deceitful? Because it promises us so much. And then we pour our energy into it. And then when we get it, it says, oh, sorry, you actually need this thing. And so you pour all your energy into getting that next thing until you get it. And it says, oh, actually, you need that next thing. It's the deceitfulness of wealth that promises your life will be so much better if you can just have this thing, enjoy this lifestyle, get to retirement, whatever it is. It promises that that's the destination, but it's never the destination. It's deceitful. Our hopes and dreams can so easily become tied to what we can afford or the stuff that we have. And then God's word gets squeezed out. We prioritize work and the acquisition of money above anything else. We stop reading God's word. We stop finding joy in it. We stop finding freedom from that endless chasing after stuff. And over time, we give up following Jesus. What is it that can come in and choke, choke away God's word in our life? Well, it's worries and it's the deceitfulness of wealth. And then his final saying, the desires for other things. We want that thing that God says we shouldn't have. We want that relationship which God says in his word we shouldn't pursue. We want that opportunity, but we have to lie to get it. We want that lifestyle, but it doesn't fit in with church or following Jesus. So what do we do? We ignore God's word and we follow those desires. Three great risks, three things that can come in and choke God's word and mean that we don't, when we end up not being good soil. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. Until finally, there is seed which falls on good soil. This is where we hear the word of God and we accept it, and more than that, we keep on going with it. You see, that's the difference, isn't it, between the good soil and the rocky ground and the thorny ground. See, all of them, something grows. In the rocky and the thorny, something grows. The only difference between that and the, the good soil is that in the good soil, it keeps going until it produces a harvest. We keep on hearing God's word. We keep on accepting it. We keep on believing it. We keep on living it out. And over time, we bear a harvest. Over time, we find that God's word enables us to worship the God who made us. Over time, we find that God's word grows in us a solid identity, a deep joy, a real security, a supernatural patience, a whole host of loving relationships. Over time, we find God using us to build his kingdom, to bless others, and to declare his goodness to people all around us. In Grace Church, whilst we have seen uh, many examples of paths and of rocky ground and of thorny ground, we've also been thrilled to see many seeds that have fallen on good soil. To see people who don't just respond to God's word with initial excitement, but then give up. But it's people who keep going, keep pursuing him. And end up producing an unbelievable crop where people are built up, where needs are met, where God is glorified. And where the gospel truly produces the joyful transformation it was intended to produce. That's the history of Grace Church, right there what we've seen over eight years the word of god has gone out 
And as it has gone out, some have been hard-hearted and unwilling to listen, unwilling even to, to give it any concern. Some have responded with joy initially, only for persecution or the concerns of this life to come in and kill that joy. Whilst others have heard the word, accepted it, kept growing, and experienced the unbelievable harvest which this produces in our lives. That's been the history of eight years of Grace Church, and that will be our future for as long as we keep proclaiming God's word. And my obvious challenge for any of you who are here this afternoon, which almost doesn't need saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, is don't be a path. Like don't be someone who just is just like, I'm not listening to this. Why would I care about what God's got to say? Don't be a path that's unwilling even to let it go in, even to think about, even to consider whether it's got anything to say to you. And, and don't be mocky or thorny ground. Ground that like is just excited at the start, but is unwilling to actually put down roots so that you can keep going. But rather be good soil. Because it's as we put down roots, as we stick with Jesus, as we keep going with him, that's when we truly experience what it is that he came to do.